So I guess the question comes, if we have a great Savior, why do we settle for a good life? I mean, really. You know, when you're raising your kids, do you ever sit down with your kids and say to them, now, I don't want you to excel in anything. I want you to be average. If you start bringing home those A's and B's, I'm going to have to fuss at you because I want you to be a low C student. I'd want you to just get by. I want you, now when you get your driver's license, I want you to be an average driver, talking, texting, not paying attention, scanning the dial, having three wrecks in your first six months. Is that what you tell your kids? No. Why? Because we want our kids to become better. And so we push them, we pray for them, we encourage them, we do extra things to try to expand their horizons. And yet when it comes to the Christian life, the life that Christ died to give us, we, we just settle for average. And, and you know what average is? Average is as close to the bottom as you are to the top. You're just in the bland area. And you're not making an impact. And, and it's easy to settle for that because the assumption is that's normal. But that's not the normal life. That's a subnormal life. In fact, we have presumed that average and mediocre and inconsistency is the norm, and we can never get any better than that. But that's not what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches an abundant, overflowing, more than conqueror through Jesus Christ kind of life. And if we are not living that, then we are not living up to all that God has designed for us in Christ Jesus. Now, none of us have arrived, but that's no excuse for us of getting off track. And if you've gotten off track, it's no excuse to stay there. Amen. I mean, if you've gotten off in a ditch somewhere, there's no reason to just stay there in the ditch and just watch your car sink down. I mean, figure out a way to get out of it. Amen. And God has given us a way. And so I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. And for most of this message, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. And I want you to look at Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Because what Paul is telling us is that we've been empowered to move in with Christ, that is to go deeper with him, and we've been equipped to move up with Christ, and that means to go higher with him. So our lives are to be on a trajectory of going deeper and higher, that, that we are building a root system while at the same time the branches are coming out and the fruit is coming out of our lives and we are bearing fruit consistent with the life of Christ. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's Paul with this one thing mentality. Now, uh, Paul was not 
just a missionary. He was a tent maker by trade, and often he would go into a city and a community, and he would make tents to make a living. So he had a job that he was working at, but Paul said, although that's what I do sometimes to pay the bills, that's not really who I am. Who I really am is a person pressing on to know Jesus Christ. As we said in, in the series on discipleship, you are a, a plumber or an electrician or a banker or a doctor or a school teacher or a housewife, a cleverly disguised disciple. You're really a disciple of Jesus Christ and a follower of him. You just do those things to pay the bills. And so Paul is talking about this life that he is pressing toward. Now, you've got to remember where Paul was coming from. Paul had been immersed in religion. Here's a guy who had memorized the first five books of the law. He could quote at any spot. He could drop in and begin quoting any of the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. He could quote those, but not only that, he knew the prophets. He knew all the Pharisaical laws. He could have quoted all 600 additional laws that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had added. He was also a member of the Sanhedrin. I mean, this guy was an intellectual genius, and he was absolutely miserable. He was up to his eyeballs in knowledge, but he didn't have any peace. Let me tell you something. Religion will make you miserable. Amen. And, and the reason why there's no joy in many of our churches is we got into religion and we missed Jesus. God didn't save you to make you religious. God saved you to make you like Jesus and to give you a love and a joy and a peace and a forgiveness and a fulfillment that you cannot find in religion. Religion is man trying to get to God. A relationship in Christianity is God has already made available to man what he needs. Amen. And so here's Paul who's miserable, but when he met Christ, everything began to look up. Now, I, I flew a couple of times this week, and uh, the minute I got to the airport, I went to the counter and I asked for an upgrade. Never hurts to ask. You never know. And so uh, the, this, this uh, lady at the counter in New York at LaGuardia, which I hate to fly in and out of because the runway takes off over water, and I found out Scully wasn't my pilot, so I was a little concerned there. Uh, and, and so I, I said, is an upgrade available? She said, yeah, I've got a real short list for you. I said, well, what about my wife? So, well, that'll put you further down on the list. Listen, I didn't want to get an upgrade without her. First of all, I didn't want to hear about it. <laughs> I mean, really. You know, I didn't fall off the last turnip truck that came through town. <laughs> but I didn't want an upgrade without her because I, I wanted to have an upgraded position. I, I hoped I could get bumped up to first class. I, I want an upgraded position, but not by myself. I want to take my family with me. I wanted to move up. And when I go in, I check in. If I can't get an upgrade, uh, by the way, every seat flying out of Albany is first class. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, <laughs> no leg room, but it is first class. Uh, but I'll try to get an exit row or a bulkhead, and uh, sometimes I succeed and sometimes I don't. When we went to Hawaii back in September to speak for our uh, military chaplains, uh, we flew out, and we were getting our ticket, and, you know, there's a certain 
price that our mission board will, you know, can pay. They'll pay for the cheapest economy ticket. So Terry and I decided if we're going to fly from Albany, Georgia, land in Los Angeles, and then go on to Hawaii, we're going to spend some of our sky miles, and we're going to upgrade to first class. And so we did. And it was a whole lot better trip. I mean, I watched the people in the back. They weren't having near as much fun as I was having. I mean, they came in just before we landed and brought us hot, wet washcloths to put on our face and to freshen up. I looked back in the back, and they couldn't find a Kleenex back there. I mean, there was just nothing. And I'm thinking, this is good. Life is good. God is good. But here's what I noticed. When we landed in Los Angeles and we're going to, going to Hawaii, and then when we were in Hawaii flying back to Los Angeles, they got on the speaker and announced, we have some seats available in first class for a fee of $75. If you would like one of those seats, you can come to the ticket desk now. And I thought, there are going to be people trampled. Nobody moved. And so we flew first class with empty seats around us, both trips. And I told Terry, when nobody moved, I said, if I had a credit card that had $75 left on it, <laughs> me and Jesus are going to first class. <laughs> I mean, why would I want to make that long trip back there in the back with my shoulders like this so my chiropractor has to work on me longer when I could kind of sit back like this and stretch out and stretch my legs out and, and have somebody bring me whatever I wanted. And by the way, the food's better up there. But you know what? Some people are just content to fly in the back because they don't want to pay the price. Well, I got news for you. The price has already been paid. You don't have to get your credit card out and lay down another $75 to get first class in the Christian life. The price has already been paid. The question is, are you going to take your seat? Or are you going to sit in the back with all the other people that are miserable? Are you going to find the abundant life that Christ has for you? So first thing is, is we need to look up. Now, I believe that there are levels at which people live. I think the Bible teaches it. Paul talked about the Christians that he could not speak to as spiritual, but as carnal. They were living below what God had saved them to be. I've experienced it. And I know people that have lived it that have moved in, in an understanding of, I don't have to be miserable in my Christian life. I, I can move up. And so here's what I've experienced. I've experienced growth spurts. I mean, I've experienced moments when, you know, my Christian life was just taken off like a rocket. I mean, it just, everything was new and I, and I had great energy, but I've also experienced dry spells. I've experienced moments when I didn't know if God heard my prayer and sometimes I wasn't sure he cared. I've been at both extremes. I, I've experienced great passion for God, and I've experienced apathy toward His Word and toward prayer. Now, it's just us here in this room. Isn't that your experience too? I mean, there are just some days when you think you couldn't get any closer to Jesus than you are, and there are other days when you think I couldn't be any further away. There are some days when you can't wait to get to church, and there are other days when you're embarrassed that somebody might ask you, how are you doing today? How's your walk with God? There were days I was ready to meet Manly Beasley when he said to me, what are you trusting God for today? And there were days when I wish I could have been in another place. All of us have had that. 
But God does not want us to live this roller coaster up and down, hot and cold kind of existence. He wants us to live on a consistent basis and not live below where he saved us to live. I mean, when you look at the psalmist and he's going through difficult times, what is he doing? He's looking up to God. He's looking up to heaven. He's crying out to God. Our tendency is to look around. Rather than looking up, we look around. And we look to self-help books, or we turn on Oprah, or we turn on Dr. Phil, or we turn on Larry King, or we turn on whoever. You know, and, you know, and I've, I've said this before, but I'm amazed that anybody asks anybody in Hollywood the opinion of what a good marriage is. Amen. I mean, that's a joke waiting to happen. Right. You know, it's like today, or what's it going to be like three months from now? What we do is we look around, and we tend to get advice from people who are just as stuck as we are. And, and you know, the best-selling marriage series by a secular person, a non-believer, the best-selling marriage series ever done, and the second best-selling ever done, both of those people have been divorced. So they ain't helping anybody. They can't even follow their own advice. So how are you going to get help from them? But I've got news for you. God's given us a place to look. Amen. And it's to look up to him, not look around and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as them and <laughs> I'm not as bad off as those folks over there. At least I'm not like them. No, it's not look around and compare yourself to other people. It's looking up to God. And so let me just give you a couple of scripture references here and then I want to uh, ask you some questions. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 1, 3 says he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Hebrews 8, 1 says he has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And Hebrews 10, 12 says he sat down at the right hand of God. So three times it says that Christ, that we are to be fixing our eyes on, is seated at the right hand of God. So let me ask you a few questions. Who do you see if you look up? This requires a response. Fix your eyes on. Okay. All right. So if I'm looking up, I'm looking over my circumstances. I'm looking over my situation. I'm looking over that which is defeating me, and I'm looking up to him. Now, where is Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of God. So when I'm looking at Jesus, I'm looking at the Father. The Father who loves me, the Father who cares about me, the Father who sent his Son to die for me. But he's seated at the right hand of the Father, at the right hand of majesty on high, and what is he doing? What does the Scripture say Jesus is doing? He's interceding for us. Guess what? At your lowest point, at your darkest moment, in your greatest defeat, Jesus Christ is praying for you. So don't walk around and let the devil beat you up and say, well, I guess God doesn't love me. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't have his son interceding for you. So look up. Get your eyes off yourself and look up and see what he's got for you. When I get my eyes on him, then I can remember that God is in control. He's seated at the right hand of power, at the right hand of majesty. And when I look up, I get his perspective. And it changes my perspective. Secondly, gird up. And I, I just want you to turn for a second. Hold your place in Philippians and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. 
gird up. Look up, gird up. Now, in our newer translations, it does not translate gird up. It translates that way in uh, King James, and that's a good translation in King James for gird up because of the word picture that is there. In New American Standard, it says in 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. King James says, gird up the loins of your mind. The message paraphrases it, roll up your sleeves and put your mind in gear. The New Living says, think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward. The CEV translates it, be alert and think straight. Peter is admonishing them to pull their thoughts together. That they could not afford to be spiritually ADD. They had to get focused. They had to pull their thoughts together. And the image is of a soldier who, when he would go into battle, tucks his tunic and his robe into his belt so that when he's running, he doesn't trip over anything or it doesn't get caught on anything. So he's bringing everything in. He's tightening up. He's closing all his garments up around his belt as tight as he can so that when he moves into battle, there's nothing to trip him up. So Paul says, tighten up your mind. Peter says, tighten up your mind. This is what Paul uses in Ephesians when he, when he says, we are to gird your loins with truth. So if, if I'm going to do that, there are a couple of things I need to understand. First of all, that which is not essential is ultimately not important. That which is not essential is ultimately not important. How much have you worried about that has never come to pass? One thing, 20 things, a thousand things. We worry and we fret. Why? Because we let our mind go places that it doesn't need to go. Amen. Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if, most of the what if this happens never happens. In fact, the book of James says, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough trouble for itself. And we spend a lot of time planning how we're going to respond to failures that we may never be faced with. Well, what if that? And we just get panicked and we get in overload and it begins to consume us and it pushes us down. Secondly, outlook determines outcome. Outlook determines outcome. Vance Havner said, it's hard to be optimistic with a misty optic. You ever met a pessimist that made your day? I mean, really. Have you ever met, have you ever seen a pessimist coming in and you say, man, I can't wait to talk to them. How you doing? Oh, you just don't know. Skies falling, war in the Middle East, health care, taxes, kids, family, health. Man, I'm glad I got up this morning. Why? Because the outlook is based on circumstances, not based on God's Word. My outlook can be positive for one reason. I know we win in the end. 
I've read the first two chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelation, and there's no devil in those four chapters. In the end, we win. So no matter what we go through, and no matter where we are, and no matter how tough it gets, sure beats hell. At least you're not going there. So whatever's happening, change your outlook because it determines your outcome. And, and lastly, attitude determines action. You see, I'll never start acting right until I start thinking right. And many of us are dominated by stinking thinking. I mean, we just, we, we just start thinking the wrong way about somebody or something, and once we get on that path, it just leads to a dead-end road. And our attitude will affect our actions. Now, the word that uh, Peter is using here, the gird up, is an imperative, and it, it means that we are to live up to the obligations that are before us. It refers to tightening the belt or tying something down. Let me give you four suggestions about how this impacts your life. Number one, it is to discipline your thoughts. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. To discipline your thoughts. Your mind is prone to wonder. My mind is prone to wonder. And by the way, let me tell you where your mind is most prone to wonder. And I don't even have to know who you are. I don't have to have met you. But I know where your mind's prone to wonder when you start to pray. Amen. Lord Jesus, boy, I forgot to get milk today. <laughs> Father, you know my need. I wonder if my wife filled up the car. To discipline your thoughts because the, the battle is in the mind. If you can win the battle of the mind, you can win the battle. Amen. Secondly, to live according to biblical priorities. That's what he says in Matthew 6, 33. To live according to biblical priorities. Thirdly, to not be hindered by the world. That's what 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 and Hebrews chapter 1 uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. And to live a godly life. And to live a godly life. So we are to prepare our minds or gird up our minds. Now go back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. And so what kind of mind are we to have? It's going to be all found in the book of Philippians, okay? Let's just go through this quickly, and, I, and I'll let you do your own study on this. First of all, we are to have a humble mind, a humble mind. That's what Philippians 2, 5 says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Have the same mind as Jesus, a humble mind. You see, nobody struts in the presence of God. Amen. And there's a difference between being confident and being arrogant. And there's also a difference with your confidence being in yourself or your confidence being in God. And so, but we're to have a humble mind. God doesn't bless pride. In fact, he opposes it. But the Scripture says he gives grace to the humble. 
When somebody praises you, deflect it. Give it to God. Don't dwell on it. Don't absorb it. Because listen, if you're going to receive applause, then you can't reject criticism. And both need to be laid at the feet of the cross. Because your friends will tell you things that they think they, that you want to hear, and your enemies are probably not telling the truth, and you can't change them. So whatever it is, praise, flattery, or flattening, praise, or criticism, just give it to God and have a humble heart. Amen. And realize, except for the grace of God, I'm just a sinner on my way to hell. But by the grace of God, I've been saved. Not of my works, lest I should boast. But because of Christ Jesus. So you're to have a humble mind. Secondly, by the way, Vance Havner said a man who's wrapped up in himself is a very small package. <laughs> have an honest mind. Philippians 3, verse 15. An honest mind. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. An honest mind. No dishonesty, no discrepancy, no lack of integrity in our minds. Thirdly, a heavenly mind. Chapter 3 and verse 18 and 19, a heavenly mind, a, a humble mind, an honest mind, a heavenly mind. Paul warns them that there are many walk, and their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. They have an appetite for things that are of this world. But we are to have a heavenly mind to set our mind on things above, not on earthly things. And then fourthly, we're to have a harmonious mind. Chapter 4 and verses 2 and 6. Now, Paul mentions two ladies here that are not living in harmony. In chapter 4 and verse 2, he, he urges them, Yodi and Syntyche, uh, which was a little picky woman, uh, are to live in harmony with the Lord. Now, I want you to get this picture. You know, somebody causes trouble in a church. Well, I don't want to say who it is. Paul did. Paul named them. Now, let me tell you something. These two women, we don't know how big the church in Philippi was. These two women were at odds with each other over something. And it just wasn't between them. One of them went and told her friends. The other one went and told her friends and asked their friends to choose side about which friend was their friend. And their disagreement began to affect the unity of the church. And it got so big that Paul heard about it in another city. Now, you don't want to have a problem with somebody so big that the apostle Paul says, Lord, I'd like permission to put their names in the Bible. <laughs> oh, so you're the two women. Huh, read about you. Did y'all ever get that problem straightened out? Did you meet Jesus without straightening out that problem when you died? Was it, after you saw Jesus, was it really worth being upset about? Was it really worth arguing over? Was it really worth causing a disruption in the church family over that? Was it worth it? How did you feel when that letter, by the way, all these letters that Paul wrote were read publicly to the church. How, you know, they're probably sitting there saying, you know, have the mind of Christ, love, do all these kind of things, be a servant and everything. And then the pastor of the church gets down and he starts reading and these two women's names pop up out of his mouth. And everybody in the church goes. 
How do you think they felt? If we're going to have a renewed mind, if we're going to gird up our mind, it has to be a harmonious mind. And then chapter 4 and verse 6, and we're just going to go through these phrases here. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about, finally, brethren. What's important for them to dwell on? Uh, the word dwell there means to evaluate, to consider, to calculate. It's not just entertaining a thought. Well, I, you know, I, I'll think about that. The word dwell there means you take into strong consideration what I am saying. You pay attention. Dwell on these things. Because if you dwell on these things, you've got the kind of mind that God wants you to have. You're thinking the way God wants you to think. And so let me give you a reference out of Proverbs and then I want us to, and out of Mark, and then I want us to just walk through these phrases. Proverbs 23, as a man thinks within himself, so is he. That was true when I was in the eighth grade, I should have turned into a girl. That's all I thought about in the eighth grade was girls. Didn't do me any good. I mean, none of them ever talked to me, but... I thought about them. Mark chapter 7 and verse 20. That which proceeds out of the mouth, that is what defiles a man for from within. Out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So how are we to think? Well, let's just kind of go through these phrases. He talks about whatever is true. And so after he says that little phrase, whatever is true, everything that he talks about is, is a testimony to that which is true. Okay? That's the key. You've got to think about things that are true, not things that are speculation, not things that are based on opinion, not things that are subjective, but objective truth. What does God say? It's not so much does this work, it's does God say it? You know, does this make me feel better? No, it's does God say this? And so all of these flow out of whatever is true. And then he says whatever is honorable or dignified or worthy of respect. Whatever is honorable or dignified or worthy of respect. We were in a lot of cabs this week in New York City, and, and when I was sitting in the front, uh, I would always try to carry on a conversation. Stephen did that. Jim did that. Uh, I, uh, Alex did that. We were always trying to carry on a conversation with the cab driver, trying to find out something about them to talk to them and, and see what's going on in their lives. We met some interesting people. Uh, I met a cab driver who's been a, a cabbie all his life. He lives uh, in Brooklyn. He's been a cab driver all his life. He's got three daughters. So we started talking about what it was like to just raise daughters, and we carried on a conversation. And, and I found out, I can tell you right now, after 20 minutes in a cab with that guy, about how he thinks about his wife, how he thinks about God, and how he thinks about his job. All in 20 minutes, just by asking the right questions. These are the things we're supposed to think on. What's right? What's honorable? What's dignified? Okay, let's go to the next one. What is pure or holy or morally clean? Uh, uh, that which is undefiled. 1 Timothy 5.22 translates this, free from sin. So whatever is honorable, whatever is right, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. The only time that word is used in the New Testament is here, and it means gracious or generous or patient. Whatever is gracious, generous, or patient, lovely. Whatever is of good repute, that's only here in the New Testament. That which is highly regarded or well thought of. These are the ways we're supposed to think. Not just at church, but in our parenting and in our marriage and in our relationship with other people at work and at school and how we respond to the person at the checkout line that doesn't seem to have a clue about how to get things right and how we respond to the waitress that got the order wrong. But we don't know that she's had a bad day and her child is sick and her mother has cancer. But we're Jesus in front of her. Amen. And the kind of tip that we leave, all those things highly regarded. If any is excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The, the key to godly living is godly thinking. I have to think differently because my sinful nature wants to go in the wrong direction and think the wrong thoughts. So I have to think the right things. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. And ladies and gentlemen, your mind is either a spring of life or it's becoming a cesspool. The choice is yours. Now, how, how many of you have seen the uh, national car rental commercials with John McEnroe? You may not think you've seen it, but you know, the guy says, you know, you can go to national car rental, get out at the airport and go down and get any car. And John McEnroe, you know, who's got the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, obviously, says, any car? Are you kidding me? Any car. You can get any car you want. Okay, so I can go to National Car Rental, and what I've got is a car that it takes me about 30 minutes to fold into. It, it sits six inches off the ground, cannot be seen by an 18-wheeler because it's so small, has no luggage room, only has a radio, doesn't have a CD player in it, has no serious radio, has no back support. It's got the little handle underneath that you slide back, and when you try to slide back to get leg room, it slams all the way back, and you can't really tilt the seat back. And right next to it is a Cadillac Escalade. You know, it's got the navigation system. It's got serious radio in it. It's got traffic alerts. It's, it's got leather seats. It's got lumbar support. If it's cold, it's got a seat heater that you can push. It's got individual climate controls. It's got an eight-speaker Bose system in it. And I go, you know, I think I just want to be miserable and drive this little one over here. Now, they said to you at the counter, pick any car you want. Now, which one would you pick? Don't be spiritual on me and say, I'd pick the little one and leave the other one for somebody else. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> no, you would pick the best one. Why? Because if you're going to get to pick any car you want, it's the one I'm going to pick. I want you to picture that you're standing in front of Jesus and he says to you, now here's two things. I've got a life for you that you can choose, which is up and down, hot and cold, 
many days miserable, a few days filled with joy, but not consistent, just getting by, hoping that somehow God might answer a prayer sometime and hoping that you can kind of get through life and then get to heaven and everything will be okay. Or I've got this life over here. And it's a first-class life. It's an upgraded life. It's a life of power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's a life of God's Word coming out of you and in you and affecting how you talk to your kids and, and how you treat people and how you live at home and how you think about life. It, it impacts your integrity. It makes you a person of character. And when you die, people are going to miss you because you have made an impact through the outflowing of the inflowing of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, which one do you want? How many of you would say, you know what, I just choose misery? By the way, isn't that why you got saved? Because you were sick of sin and miserable, and you wanted to get out of that life? So why do you want to stay in it when you're saved? Why don't you take a step over to the other aisle and choose the life that has already been paid for you? You can get a life, any life. The price has already been paid. You can choose miserable, or you can choose to go first class. The choice is yours. Would you stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed? We'll have staff members at the end of the aisle, and in a moment when we begin this song of invitation, and even right now, you can step out from where you are and say, you know what, I'm miserable, but I'm miserable because I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I've never given my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. I, I, I don't know what it means to have victory in my life. I, I live more on the plane of defeat than I do on the, on the level of victory. And I need for God to save me today. And some of you need to come today and you just need to say, Lord, I've been living in coach and you bought a ticket for me to go first class. I, I, I've been getting by and you died so that I could live an abundant life. And you just need to come to the counter. We'll call it the altar today. You need to come to the counter and at this counter, you need to say, Lord, I've come to claim my upgrade. I've come to take my ticket. I've come to say that I am committed to renewing my mind, to thinking the right way, and to changing my thinking so that I can leave this place and begin a daily experience of dying to myself and dying to an old way of living and walking in a new life with Christ. So as we begin to sing, I'm going to invite you to just step out and just come right now. Come and get this settled with the Lord today. Amazing grace. Thank you for joining us for Path to Truth from Sherwood Baptist Church. That was the possibility of an upgrade. You can order today's message by going to sherwoodbaptist.net slash bookstore. You can also send us your prayer requests by going to sherwoodbaptist.net slash prayer. Again, thank you for joining us for Path to Truth.